0: Well, this is the time of year in which many of our body are on the road, but you know, think about this. The entire Grinnell clan is in Kenya with Linda Steed right now. How many people would that be, a dozen or more? Something like that. Isn't that wonderful they, they, that family is involved in that particular outreach? Well, for many, many years I was an avid chess player. And one of the challenges was finding sometimes a worthy opponent. But uh, I thoroughly enjoyed chess from childhood until well into my adult years. Bella Christian Church, there was a lady named Lois Woodcock, who was, had that beautiful artistic spirit, and she was a sculptress. And she worked in various media, but one media she worked in was ceramic. And she taught Barbara that craft and that art. And one day as a love gift to me, Barbara made me a set of ceramic chessmen. Absolutely beautiful. And so for years that was a treasure of mine. After Barbara died, part of my grief, how do I work through this grief? And I've always loved working with my hands. So I went to Barry Suderman and got some tiger wood and made a chess table. I inlaid the top with ceramic tiles and a drawer, and in that drawer felt cradles for the various chess pieces. What a delight. Now, for years, as many of you know, it was a custom of my clan to gather at our house four times a year. Christmas, New Year's, Mother's Day, and Thanksgiving. Now, one of those occasions, some of the younger people decided they wanted to play chess. So they got out the chess pieces, were playing chess. And one of them, I don't know if it was in frustration or what, knocked over the White Queen, and she broke. A tragedy. But thank God for (laughs) superglue. I was able to gather together those pieces and glue it back together, and today you cannot tell that queen was ever broken. Sunday night as I was dropping off to sleep and praying to God and asking him, Lord, do you have a word for Sunday? If not, let's just not have one. (laughs) It has to be from you. I woke up Monday morning with this song playing in my head. Something beautiful, something good, all my confusion he understood, all I had to offer him was burdens and much strife and confusion, yes, Lord, but he made something beautiful out of my life. And then immediately this expression, picking up the pieces. And then immediately in my mind, I saw myself putting the pieces of that queen back together. And God said, I'm a God picks up the pieces of broken lives and fashions them back into something beautiful. That's the God that we know. After Jesus was immersed, you recall, the Holy Spirit led him to the Mount of Temptation. There Satan tempted him, first of all, well, you've been fasting 40 days, you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. And Jesus, quoting Deuteronomy, said, it is written, thou shalt not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And then Satan took him to the pen of the temple and said, You know, it's written, uh, jump off. It's written, angels will gather you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said, again quoting Deuteronomy, You shall not tempt the Lord thy God. And then he began to have the panorama of all the nations of the world. These are all mine. If you worship me, I'll give them to you. And Jesus, again quoting Deuteronomy, it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord God, and him only shalt thou serve. And the Satan departed for a season. And then Jesus went back to Galilee, his home region. And very quickly he ended up in Nazareth, his hometown, and the synagogue. And they gave him the role of reader that particular Sabbath. And following the liturgy, it was time to read from the book of Isaiah And they headed him Isaiah, and he read from Isaiah 61, here's what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me, notice this, to bring good news to the afflicted. Bind up the brokenhearted. Proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom to prisoners, Proclaim the favorable lair of the Lord, the day of vengeance, but to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So they'll be called oaks of righteousness, and then this, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That's why he does it, that he may be glorified. You know, I've been in leadership in some role in this church now for 41 years. And even in the years before I was officially a part of TCF, very much involved in the church, Bel Air Christian Church, we opened our building to TCF because TCF didn't own a building, just met in schoolhouses, and so all kinds of events happened there. Matter of fact, the first time I met Ed and Nancy was at a TCF dinner, and we were washing dishes together in the kitchen. I used to attend all of the events of TCF that were held in our building. For a while I had a group of about a dozen young men from TCF I was mentoring. So I got to know this church quite well, and I know many of your lives quite well. And I know that many in this church are trophies, trophies of God's goodness and His ability to take shattered, broken pieces and put them together, trophies. His glory. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think about? And so as God began to speak to me and say this is the word I want you to bring Sunday. And he had various ways to assure me. For instance Tuesday, Tuesday afternoon I went to visit my son Jim who is in a very acute nursing at uh, Franciscan Villa. And after visiting him, I got on the Creek Turnpike to head to Jinx. On Monday night, I fix meatloaf on Tuesday night. Greg and I have leftovers, but I always get some from KFC for Mark. <laughs> so I was heading to KFC and I got there, had time to spare. So I went to Veterans Park. Veterans Park has three shelters. There's one I especially like, kinda up on a hill. I got out my clarinet began to play songs from the Hindle, one after another. By the way, I played Jean Sibelius (laughs) as one of those. And after I'd played for about 15 or 20 minutes, I was aware of the fact that there was someone standing to my right. And I turned. It was a very large gentleman carrying a skateboard. And he looked at me and he said, "Oh." That's impressive. That's really impressive. I was over in the skate rink, and I heard the clarinet sound. I had to find its source. That's impressive. How long have you played the clarinet? God was starting to open the door. And so I told him the story, played the clarinet in grade school, junior high, high school. Four years I worked on the railroad, I played the clarinet and the city symphony and also the Shriner's Marching Band. And after four years on the railroad, God spoke to me and said, I do not intend to you to be a railroader the rest of your life. I want you to be a minister of the gospel. And so I left and moved to Cincinnati and my wife and baby to go to Bible college. The fourth month became the minister of a little country church. Money was really tight. And there was a county youth rally, and I wanted to take the teenagers we had too in that church to the youth rally, but I didn't have any money to buy gas. So I hocked the clarinet, (laughs) bought gas, took them to the youth rally, and then trying to figure out how I'm gonna get that thing back out of hock. And God said, that's out of your life. Leave it alone, it's a distraction. And so for decades, the only time I ever touched a clarinet was for some special occasion, but a year after Barbara died, 13 and a half years now, I was grieving so deeply, and God said, pick up your horn, and so I obtained a professional level clarinet that had been playing every day ever since, and this man said, wow, what a story. <laughs> And then that opened him up. He told me his story. He had been very much a part of the gang world. Heavy into drugs. He was an enforcer. He got most of his income being paid to hurt people. A man of great cruelty. A man whose life was broken. Now he didn't tell me how it happened, but some way God got hold of his life. Today, he is undergoing an internship in his local church, preparing to become a youth pastor. And he said, I want to be a youth pastor so I can guide young people and not let them ever get in the world I was in. God picked up the pieces. Picking up the pieces. That man today is a trophy of God's ability to pick up the pieces. How does God pick up the pieces? As I say, I don't know who this word is for today, but I know it's from God. Perhaps it's to look at your life and thank God for what he's done, but perhaps you're one whose life is still broken and there are pieces that you need for God to pick up. How does God do this? Well, the first thing it's important for us to understand that our God is eager to forgive. We quote John 3.16, but 3.17 is just as important. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Think of the woman taken in adultery Jesus was teaching and here came a group of Pharisees with a woman and shoved her in front of everybody. This woman is an adulteress. We caught her in the very act. Moses said, stoner, what do you say? Jesus didn't say a thing. He sat down started writing in the ground. <laughs> Finally they pressed him and he stood up and looked at them and said, Let him who is without sin cast the first stone. Then he knelt down and began to write in the ground again. And one by one they left from the eldest to the youngest. Some say that Jesus was probably writing down all their sins, and when they, but we don't know for sure. But after they were all gone, he looked at her. Woman, where are your accusers? There are none. Neither do I condemn thee, but go thou and sin no more. That's God's desire. Peter and Second Peter wrote this. The Lord is not slow. Somebody will compute, can say, you know, God just slags. He's slow. He's not doing like he said. Peter said, the Lord is not slow about His promise. If some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance now you know that truth is very important to peter you remember at the last supper jesus said there's somebody here who's going to betray me and peter said i'll never betray you lord jesus said peter before the cock crows three crows once you're going to deny me three times oh no never Later in the garden, when the soldiers came with the high priest's servant to arrest Jesus, Peter whipped out his sword and took a swing and missed the man's head, just lopped off his ear. Jesus put it back on. I imagine that uh, man wondered, man, why are we arresting this guy? But anyway, they did. And then Peter and John followed behind as they went to the place of trial. We're not told what John did, but we're told that there was a fire and people gathered around it. And Peter went and sat with them. And one person looked at him and said, you're one of his. You're a disciple. Oh, no, I never knew him. A little bit later, another one. You're his disciple. Oh, no, I never knew him. And the third time was strongly, I never knew the man. And just as he said that, the cock crowed and Jesus was being moved from one room to another and on the balcony he looked down at Peter and Peter saw Jesus and Peter went out and wept bitterly. He had a lot to be repent and be sorrowful for. But you remember later after Jesus' resurrection he met them on the seashore. He had prepared a breakfast of fish and then that breakfast he said, Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord, I love you. Then tend my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord, I love you. Tend my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Oh, yes, Lord. Anyway, three times he denied Jesus. Jesus gave him an opportunity three times in confession to confess his love. For God to take the pieces of our life and rebuild them, the first thing we have to understand is God wants to do it. He wants to forgive. He wants to take those pieces and make them into something beautiful. And God says there's absolutely no condition, no condition at all, that is beyond my ability to take it and make something beautiful, a trophy (laughs) to my love and my ability. And as he does that, it's important for us then to say, then you are the God of my life, I submit to you. And then through the Holy Spirit, he begins to work but there's something else. The second car Jimmy owned was an Opal. I don't remember exactly what the name it was, what model, but an Opal. And as most of you know I've always been the family mechanic and one day the engine just died. So I began to try to figure out what was wrong. I determined that one of the bushings on the crankshaft had frozen. you gonna to have to pull the crankshaft, have it machined, and put a new bushing on. So the way you do that, you crawl under the car, jack it up, crawl under there, and you drain the oil, and you take down the oil pan, and there it is. You take off the journals on the end, the journals on each of the piston rods, and take the... Go get, however. When I crawled under that car, I saw nothing I'd never seen before. There was a cross member of the frame that went right under the oil pan. There was no way to drop it. What am I going to do? Well, I guess I'll have to pull it out of the top. But even if I had taken off the hood the way that vehicle was built, I could not extract the motor out of the top. I was baffled. I finally bought a manual (laughs) authored by the Opel industry and learned something I'd never encountered before. This engine was mounted on a part of the frame which also was the axle of the front wheels. So what you did, you took two bolts out that held that that part to the frame. You disconnected, of course, the drive shaft and the exhaust and other things that tied it to the body. You disconnected the uh, steering column. And then you jacked up the body of the car just a little bit so you could slide it past that, that uh, cross member. And once you did that, you jacked it up real high and wheeled the motor out on the wheels. <laughs> and then you could take it off and lay it on its side, did whatever. but you know, I never would have known that. If I hadn't gotten the manual, here's the manual. (laughs) Here's the manual. The Holy Spirit working in our hearts and the Holy Spirit with this manual will be the means that God uses to take the broken pieces of any of our lives and rebuild it into something very, very beautiful. Remember, Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What's a yoke? (laughs) Well, a yoke is something that touches the neck to a seamstress. It's that piece of cloth that goes out here that you hang the clothes on. A lot of people, when you think of a yoke, they think of oxen. There's one kind of yoke you put on a single oxen. Sometimes there's a double yoke you put on two oxen. There's also the, the yoke which is, goes across here and has uh, arms sticking out and chains drops so you can carry pails or something else. There's also a slave yoke if you ever if you go online and search slave yoke it's amazing all the yokes that slaves have had to wear through the years which was a symbol of their slavery. Which of those to which of those does Jesus refer when he says take my yoke upon you and learn of me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know. <laughs> But the one that fits most is that one with it, that you use to carry a load. Just don't know. But whatever it is, Jesus says, Come unto me who labor and are heavy pressed, and I will give you rest. What a beautiful thing to think about. So how do we allow God to direct our lives? Well, you remember last week in quotation, Bill quoted Francis Schaeffer's 1976 books, How Should We Then Live, talking about the culture? We ask that individually, and as we say, allow the Holy Spirit to guide us and to follow the manual. This past week I encountered a quote from John Quincy Adams as he wrote to his son. He wrote this, The Bible is of all the books in the world that which contributes most <laughs> to make men good, wise, and happy, written in 1811. I agree with that, as long as it's attended, of course, by the Holy Spirit. Because some people make the Bible some kind of a horrible thing, really. The psalmist from 119, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light my path." If you want God to take the pieces of your life and put them back together, first realize he wants to, realize he has the power to do it, submit to him, and then access the manual. I don't know who God wanted to hear this message today. But whoever it is, I urge you to give your life to Him and joyously serve Him throughout your days. May God's blessing rest upon you.